I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Stephen Murray. And welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots, the podcast that dives deeply and drinks from the well of robot films from 1927 to 1977. Thanks for joining us once again. Let's talk about Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. (laughs) So it's the next film that's in our path on our way to Star Wars in 1977. This is a film... That was released in 1965, distributed by American International Pictures, which is more significant than, I, than I'd imagined when I first mm. read those words. And the cast is quite interesting because it's got Vincent Price, who we all know and love. My husband hasn't at some time wanted to kill his wife. But husband hasn't had a thousand opportunities to do it in such a way so that he'd never be suspected. Frankie Avalon. Him off of Greece. Your story sad to tell. A teenage ne'er do well. It's a bit before we did Greece, this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then Dwayne Hickman, who I think I recognised. He's a sort of like a was a character actor in America that you might remember. Uh, Susan Hart, Jack Mullaney, and Fred Clark. And as far as my um, as far as my research goes, the only two people who are still alive from that lot are Frankie Avalon and Susan Hart. She is, and she was married to one of the producers at the time of making the film. Yeah, and she owns the copyright now on a few few films that was oh, distributed really? by American International Pictures. Yeah, not That's... this one, but she owns the copyrights to It Conquered the World, oh. Zontar, <laughs> The Thing from Venus, The Amazing Colossal Man. <laughs> I was a teenage werewolf. So Susan Hart was married to the producer James H. Nicholson, and the other producer of this film was Samuel Ziarkov, who was a an incredibly prolific producer. But he he made films that he was kind of like a B movie king. But I don't think he is. I think he is the king of kitsch. He he kind of made an inroad into black exploitation as well with her. Uh, Wonderful films like Coffee and Blackula and uh, Scream, Blackula, Scream. <laughs> and he did, he did our favourite, Dr. Fibes. I think any time something came along, like whatever happened to Baby Jane, they'd, sort of, they'd be like him and Roger Corman would think, I'll, I'll, I'll have a bit of that. And so they did films like Who Slew Auntie Rue, which was like a... <laughs> These films are kind of like Grand Guignol. They're they're in this genre of of like macabre films, very bizarre. Actually, just while we're on funny names of films, I did just want to highlight uh, Fred Clark, who is one of the actors in Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, because the last two films he made before he died, I just I thought were just so beautifully named. That I thought I'd mentioned them. So well, one of them is called The Horse in the Grey Flannel Suit <laughs> from 1968. And then a film in 1969 is called I Sail to Tahiti with an all-girl crew. 
think you really get a sense of what that film's about from the title. Okay, so uh, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine is... The, I mean, the, the plot essentially of this film is that Vincent Price plays Dr. Goldfoot, who's a, a mad scientist, and he is trying to sort of scam rich rich men out of their money by marrying them off to a series of uh, robotic sexy ladies. And the his scheme is sort of foiled by two people who were were sort of dupes played by Frankie Avalon and by Dwayne Hickman as well, who who thwart Goldfoot's scheme. And that's sort of it. You described it beautifully just before we started, where you said there's, there's a lot going on and there's almost nothing going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's it really, isn't it? It is. It is. And there's some very odd things that go on. I mean, it's, it's called Dr. Goldfoot, and right at the very beginning, he, he has a pair of very weird gold shoes on, mm-hmm. and that's it. And there's an animation title sequence, which is stop-motion animation, which this kind of type claymation, of isn't has. it? Claymation, yes. Mm. Sexy, mo- of... sexy morphs in it, I thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sexy claymation girls. Yeah, uh, and and that seems to be the that scene with with him with those gold shoes on seems to be just to fit in the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? yeah, it's um, obviously a parody of. Um, Doctor No and Goldfinger. It is, and they had to change the title for England. It was called Doctor G and the Bikini Machine. (laughs) Because um, the broccolis would have objected to Goldfoot. (laughs) They would have, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Good times. Um, Also, just about that title sequence that you said, which was the claymation title sequence, the theme song, the catchy theme song, Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, was performed by the Supremes. And it is catchy. Yeah, it's really catchy. It's obvious, feels quite obvious now that this film is a spoof of, or it's got got an element that is a spoof of the James Bond films, because yes. one of the one of the male characters is a secret agent working for a secret agent organization. Double O three. He's well, isn't it double O and a quarter? Isn't that his? Uh... I don't know. Carol, I, thought no. was, I thought it was. A I, only, I only watched it a couple of hours ago as well. So, so did I, and it's already sort of like fading from my memory. It's so terrible this film. So, and Austin Powers obviously takes a lot of its, I don't know, heft from this film. <laughs> There's an awful lot that the Austin Powers films take from Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. So, I, I, it's almost like. Austin Powers, I'd always thought Austin Powers was was a riff on James Bond, but actually it's it feels more like it's a riff on Dr. Goldfoot. I think it is very much a riff on Dr. Goldfoot and the sequel. <laughs> Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. Dr. Yes, Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs, yes. And they replaced um, Frankie Avalon with Fabian. He's another uh, manufactured teen idol, right? Frankie okay. Avalon. Okay. Frank Which is Evelyn interesting. He's had a very, very long career, though, isn't he? He has, but he was manufactured. He was created. Which is interesting because the women in this film are all very much exploited. They are, aren't they? Yeah. They really are. It's very it, it's impossible to watch this with our 2023 specs on without thinking that, I think. And a lot of the jokes are are made through that lens. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe that's why the, it, it, the comedy 
feels so flat. Perhaps it's very flat, isn't it? I didn't. Because, I don't think I laughed once. No, I I did laugh once. There was well, there was one joke right really near the end that made me laugh. Um, did, did you <laughs> jot it down? <laughs> I did, and then I thought, oh no, I won't. I won't mention it. But it's where um. <laughs> It's the bit where there's this, so there's quite a long, at the end of the film, there's a, there's an extended chase sequence through San Francisco with Dr. Goldfoot, his henchman, Igor, and then uh, Frankie Avalon and Dwayne Hickman are try, who are trying to escape them. And uh, Frankie Avalon and Dwayne Hickman jump onto a, uh, a trolley car <laughs> and Dr. Goldfoot and Igor jump on a, a different trolley car. Perhaps you had to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? So it's the fact that the trolleys are never going to catch up with each other. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that is okay. it. Yeah. So they're, they're saying, they're still behind us. They're gaining on us. And then Interestingly, that whole sequence, I th- I think this film takes a lot of references from yes. A yes. kind of a, yes. a, a slew of crazy films, madcap films. Yeah. That kind of started in Hollywood with, with uh, the Marx Brothers, but... Mm-hmm. In the 60s, they became these kind of crazy 60s films full of actors. Like, it's a mad, 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 mad world, Mm -hmm. which is 1963. The Great Race in 65. The British film, Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines. Then Mm -hmm. Dr. Goldfoot and his bikini. And these films generally ended up with a pie fight at the end. (laughs) Then there was Monte Carlo or Bust. And then in 1971, it got a little bit more sophisticated with What's Up, Doc? Well, I thought that the thing that that sort of final chase reminded me of was a film that we've looked at, Sex Kittens Go to College. Oh, well, I was thinking of another film as well, the old Mother Riley film. Yes. Because that had a big sort of chase sequence at the end. It did. With motorbikes. Yeah. And didn't that, didn't, didn't that film end just end just in mid-chase? Yeah. Yeah. Just, it just ended with quite a lot of them getting shot. <laughs> if only we'd we'd been treated to the same at doc, with Dr. Gold for the bikini machine. So there are little parallels to to other films with this. This is the first Fembot appearance of Fembots. Yeah, without the name Fembot, because we now know that that comes from um, the three million dollar woman, because she's never going to cost the same as the man, is she? <laughs> it's come from her, the bionic woman. Yeah, they're they're sexualized gynoids. The main one, Diane. Diana, just fluctuates between not being a robot and being a robot. Mm. I just sort of wonder, like, how much of the audience would have known what was going on before seeing the film, or, or whether the fact that they're robots would, would have been kept back from the audience. Because the the opening sort of four or five minutes, where we're introduced, I thought quite brilliantly to the fembots with Diane, who's walking walking down a street, crosses a road, doesn't see there's a car coming, and the car sort of crashes into her, but the car ends up being smashed. And so you know that something is strange with this person. And then she walks past a bank as it's being robbed, and the two robbers start shooting at a point, point, shoot her. point blank range. <laughs> because she bends over to try and help them because she's knocked them over. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes and she's she's meeting a target and she is there's a bit of mistaken identity at the beginning and she drinks some milk in a cafe and the milk then squirts out of the holes that the bullets have created. And I thought that was it was I thought that was actually quite nice. I thought that was quite quite a fun sort of way of of introducing very quickly introducing the idea that these are robots. Yeah. 
It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I thought as well. I think that's uh, all we that's all we can say. We can say. <laughs> the opening section, which is where Frankie Avalon, the character that Frankie Avalon plays, who is a very sort of like down on his heels, poor secret agent <laughs> when you say poor secret agent he is a very poor secret he's, agent yeah and he's as very well poor as, and well as no money yeah and i thought that there's a lot of a lot of the slapstick in this there's it's a very physical role that frankie avalon's playing i thought i could see norman wisdom in this film oh completely it could also be played by jerry lewis though igor was very jerry lewis like yeah very jerry lewis like yeah We've got to talk about Vincent Price. Yeah, let's talk about Vincent Price. I mean, there's a, the there's the Roger Corman element of this because he was connected to the um, studio as well because he was making his wonderful, wonderful Edgar Allan Poe films and a lot of the sets in there were from Edgar Allan Poe films and a lot of the uh, the bits and pieces in there. And, of course, Vincent Price just hams it up completely. Yeah, yeah. He's good at comedy, I think, Vincent Price. He is, and he enjoys himself. yeah. He does. I remember him as being a big bon viveur as well. He was often on television in the late 70s and through the 80s uh, in cooking programs on yeah. TV. He was a bit of a um, a renaissance man, wasn't he? Because he was a big art, wasn't he a big art collector as yeah, well? I think, I think you're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, mean, I mean, basically, huh. the guy never stopped working. No, he didn't. And he enjoyed what he did. It felt like he was constantly sort of like moving and constantly like doing things that interested him and constantly reinventing yeah. himself. And as you say, he's like he had cookbooks out and he was an art collector. And I think he did quite a lot of charitable stuff with kind of kids and art and things like that. So I just sort of think it's it feels like he just really enjoyed being Vincent Price. In the film Theatre of Blood, he uh, there's a there's a part of the film where he has to kill one of the critics by feeding force feeding the critic his own poodles cooked into a pie (laughs) (laughs) and he is he's dressed up as a chef and you can see he is thoroughly enjoying that role yeah he's loving it yeah there's one film where he was very he was expected to be incredibly serious in it which was Witchfinder General. This evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witchfinder General. Michael Reeves didn't want him because he knew he was too much of a not so serious actor but beloved. He knew mm. he was beloved. And Vincent Price didn't know how to tackle the role. He was going to do it in his usual schlocky way and he kept coming on set with bags of sweets for everybody and really making everyone jolly when really it's quite a serious and quite hard hitting and quite quite a horrific film uh, and eventually he did get into the role and it is now seen as one of his finest roles vincent price is the Witchfinder general lust and greed were his only god I, I was reading a little bit as well about his his dad oh. um his dad was <laughs> vincent leonard price and and vincent price is vincent leonard price jr he was pre- his dad was president of the National Candy Company, <laughs> and his, his grandfather Vincent Price <laughs> invented Doctor Price's baking powder, which was the first cream of tartar based baking powder, which secured the family fortune. And he was of Welsh and English descent, and was a descendant um, via his paternal grandmother Peregrine White, who was the first child born in colonial Massachusetts being born on the Mayflower. 
when it was in the province town harbour. Are you sure this isn't a lost Roald Dahl novel? It does sound like it, doesn't it? But yeah. I thought that's really interesting that he is he is so, you know, sort of like old family America, isn't he? You know, he's, he's, he yeah. can trace his family right back to the Mayflower. Can you dig it? <laughs> I also thought, right, so this is this whole thing he's got, Dr. Goldfoot has got this, underground lair which as you say looks just like the set of an edgar Allan poe film which includes a swinging uh, pendulum from the pit and the from pendulum the, from the pit, yeah from the pit and the pendulum uh it's there's all, all manner of torture devices there's a rack there's a an iron maiden there's you know there's there's thumb screws there's cobwebbed prison cells there's everything in this underground lair it's, it felt like he was spending a lot of money on making all of these robots and it was taking a really long time and he it didn't feel like he was getting a big return for that for that outlay no i mean the outlay for his lair must have been quite a lot yeah it must have been and it was sort of like underground under a funeral home under a funeral home yeah dr goldfoot's memorial park there was a great bit i thought towards the end which was a, a much nicer riff, I think, on on a Bond film than the, in the Austin Powers films, which is where the the villain sort of monologues about his his scheme, and and so Doctor Goldfoot basically takes Frankie Avalon through ev- every detail of his operation, which was parodied again in The Incredibles. You sly dog! You got me monologuing. I can't believe it. To try and to try and be be not serious, for goodness sake, about such a film. But there was an interesting sort of musing by the film on what it is to be human. What? <laughs> because because the, I wasn't ready for that. I thought that the 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 robots sort of acted human and the and the and their victims their marks believed they were human until certain things happened and i suppose sort of just thinking about robots that we have now and and ai and people you know people being uh, unaware that a person they're chatting to on a help desk is actually automated and do you and ask I, them if they're robots i do i do and they always say no and and i think that i don't think that's true they can't lie well, yeah, according to Asimov, they can't <laughs> I don't think they're ever built with that program. Though. I thought that that was that was quite interesting. When the robots would reset, they would sort of like they would talk like, and then they might start speaking Japanese or German, like she did at the end. Yeah, it's it is interesting how I suppose programmers kind of create humanity. Oh, like the Turing test. Yeah. What is the Turing test? The Turing test is a test that, that's been created so that if you are behind a screen and you're talking to a computer, um, the Turing test is, will that computer convince you that you're speaking to a human? Also, the Turing test is also about being human, being um, sentient. Mm. So and what can that you, means. Can you detect whether the, the what you're talking to be behind the screen or whatever is sentient? which is what the whole of the film of Ex Machina is about. Well, and Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machines. And of course, Doctor, which is probably influential on Ex Machina. <laughs> <laughs> My takeaway from the film was that it was very exploitative and Frankie Avalon was exploited because he was, he was created, he was a manufactured 
pop star and actor. Yeah. One of the members of the cast, one of the, the girls was a, a, an early mouseketeer. Right. She, she started her career when she was 12. But the actual fact that Frankie Avalon and along with Fabian, who takes his role in the next film, were manufactured and created. And it reminds me of, of um, Judy Garland, who never wanted to be the person that they created her to be ever. So my takeaway was the film was about manufacturing women and some of the cast were were manipulated and manufactured actors. Speaking of manufacturing people, I suppose that Frankenstein plays looms large sort of behind this film as well, doesn't it? I mean, we yeah. we had been chatting recently about Frankenstein because of the Tetsuchi in 28 Go TV show. The the designer of those uh, cartoons was influenced by by Frankenstein. And I suppose, I mean, it's very Frankenstein-y, isn't it? You've got yeah. Igor, you've got, you know, mad scientist laboratory creating sort of humanity sort of thing. None of which is in the novel. Igor isn't even in the first film. Frankenstein okay. with Boris Karloff. He comes along later yeah. as a character. But yeah, you're right. All of these kind of tropes. And it goes back to the creation myth as well. And and it always has to go wrong because we don't have the godlike right to make these creatures. Yes. Because it's not, it's not our territory. No. Well, I suppose in a way it's sort of, I mean, I know that the the makers of this film probably won't have been <laughs> reaching for this, but it, you know, you can sort of link it up to Greek mythology, can't you? Like Pygmalion, yeah, of Pygmalion and, you know, who created a, a woman out of ivory and then wished that it was real and then it was real sort of thing. You know, the, the idea of creating humanity. Of yeah. So we found lots of connections that probably aren't there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so it's probably time for us to rate the robots rate the uh, Dr. Goldfoot ladybots from this film. <laughs> ladybots. Uh, ladybots. What do you think? What do you think? What you, what's, what's your feeling about, about them generally before you oh, give them they a were, they were fun. They were there. They were, you'd never get away. Although it's saying that you never get away with it today. Austin Powers did. But then again, Matt, how old is Austin Powers? Yeah. I mean, it's must be, it must be knocking on the door of, 25 years, is it? No way. No way. <laughs> yeah, Goldmember is 21 years old. So the first first Austin Powers is 26 years old. Good lord. Good lord alive. Yeah, well you wouldn't that you wouldn't you wouldn't make a film like this anymore. <laughs> but you know, it was of its time. Yeah. And the whole thing reminded me of like Batman TV programs and the man from uncle and it was a nice little nostalgic trip yeah well, i'd give them about three three or four <laughs> yes i'd give only give them that i think i thought that just in terms of like in the in the world of the film they were they were quite ineffectual weren't they because oh, they um, were useless diane kept kept trying to hit on the wrong person and then she kept she kept failing to get the correct money or signatures out of the mark that she needed to please Dr. Goldfoot. Um, so tortured her. And then he tortured her, yes, to teach her a lesson. So I'd say a four is more than enough. Generous. More than enough. One thing, actually, sorry, that's, that's just reminded me of, is the very ending of this film is... <laughs> It's so weird. So you've got this really protracted chase sequence around San Francisco, which ends when um, our two heroes, Frankie Avalon and the other guy, 
uh, lure Dr. Goldfoot and Igor um, to drive their Jeep off a cliff onto a beach where the Navy are firing rockets at. It's like a, it's a missile test beach. In so the middle that, of San Francisco. In the middle of San Francisco. So not only do they f- they fall off a cliff and the car explodes on the beach, they also then get hit, a direct hit with a missile. So then Frankie Avalon and the other guy decide that they're going to take a holiday together because they've been through so much trauma and they're obviously in love with each other. And, and, so, and then the plane that they're on, not only is Diane the, the air hostess on the, on the, the plane, but Frankie Avalon's boss slash uncle is behind him and f- has fallen in love with Diane. And then the plane is being flown by Dr. Goldfoot and Igor. And I thought, I just didn't understand that. <laughs> it really blew my mind. Were you mind. really supposed to understand it? It's <laughs> no, just one of these. Not. We knew they were going to turn up again. I didn't at all think that, given that their death had been so final. I mean, their de- I mean that, that, that Jeep did hen- end up on its roof. It did look pretty brutal. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I suppose the ending was the, was the least of its problems. And again, I feel I feel good now at the end of this podcast because I, I don't think I'll ever have to watch Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine ever Because we're not going to do the sequel because that's got robots in it. God, it feels like we should do it then, doesn't it? No. I mean, shouldn't we? Re- Honestly, you... No. I just feel like it's a film with robots in in our time frame, which means that we've... Have we Come on, we've got to do it. It's a oh, ruddy old film. my God. Look, these are not my rules. These are no, your rules. True, true, true. They are my rules. So until we meet again, have a wonderful rest of the week or the month or the year or however long it is until you listen to our next podcast. Until we see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> it's great fun. <laughs> okay. All right.